0: I'm your host, Lawrence Stone, and today we're joined by Dr. Katie Zhu. Dr. Katie Zhu obtained her dental degree from University of Melbourne in 2013, graduating with first-class honors and awarded the highest marks in pediatric dentistry and orthodontics. She practiced as a general dentist in the wider Melbourne community before returning to Melbourne University to specialize in orthodontics. She has since presented at numerous national orthodontic conferences and has research publications. Her interests lie in clearly understanding her patients' orthodontic concerns, their wants, and their lifestyle requirements. She is skilled in all types of orthodontic treatment, including early preventative orthodontics and aesthetic treatment options. Dr. Katie Zook, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: So you were a general dentist for three years before you decided to specialise. Tell us about your CPD or dental journey at that point.
1: So this was a this was a while ago. But a few key CPDs that I still remember, especially as a fresh young grad, I, I did a lot of different CPD. Mm-hmm. So I did everything from endodontics to rotary nitide to veneers to PROS to, <laughs> to communication. Wow! I felt like in my first few years out, it was a chance to really learn a little bit about everything before really honing in on what I wanted to do. The CPD that was required for me at that stage was probably the primaries CPD, the one with the college. Mm-hmm. Um, and that one, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty tough, but it's a good summary of all the basic sciences and it is one of the, um, one of the requirements, if you will, to sort of get onto this path of specialising. Um, but I do definitely recommend that, look, in the first few years, just try, try everything mm-hmm. and depending on your practice, go and you know, watch your senior dentist, go on these lovely dental forums and just see what pipes your interests and go from there.
0: Yeah. Well, let's talk about that because you, know, you were working part-time at an orthodontic clinic straight out and then the other part was just the general dental practice. So, <laughs> how did that kind of influence the kind of CPD that you were doing?
1: yeah so i was fortunate enough to really fall into a orthodontic practice and i think the word fall is very accurate to describe my situation back then it wasn't something that i actively seeked out Uh, so that was one day a week and then i did another five day a week um, in a general dental setting i think the beauty of doing it that way was um, i actually didn't have to really do much ortho cpd Right. i felt like by working there that was about as good as exposure as i can get so by working there i was able to do a lot of hands-on things um just learn a lot about how a practice works uh, treatment philosophies and just really see firsthand what that specialty was mm-hmm. so it influenced me in the total opposite direction you are probably hoping i would say by Working in an ortho clinic, I would then go and do ortho CPD, but it's actually the complete opposite and um, I was usually seen in the pro CPD or just doing something completely completely left field.
0: Right, so you're saying like you're doing a lot of the other things to complement your general dentistry as opposed to your ortho because what you were learning there was some time to spend with the orthodontist to observe and all of that, is that what you're saying?
1: Yeah, exactly. I felt like um, you know when you first come out of dentistry, there are um, I would say there is enough teaching for you to be competent in most cases. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is definitely a lot more out there. So when I first came out, I wasn't too set on the idea of specialising, or I didn't really quite know what I wanted. So it was a nice way of just keeping all my options open. Um, and just upskilling as I needed to.
0: Right. And so, um, well, of those ones, you were talking about endo, you were talking about veneers and all of that. You know, of those, did you feel that was a particular one that was um, something that caught your attention or was um, a game changer for you?
1: Um, very, very good question. I would say the Game-changer one, um, it was probably a implant course that I did.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> sure. Yeah, I mean, let's, let's dive into a, it. So, tell me.
1: The implant course was a game-changer um, just because I didn't get much implant teaching at university and it is something that is very crucial to know when you're a general dentist in private practice. Especially um, in Melbourne, in the city, there's a huge need for it. Mm-hmm. And very at minimal, you know I felt like as a general dentist, I should be able to advise the suitability, the, be able to do case selection. So I felt that doing it in implant CVD was probably one of the more useful ones I've done. Okay. Um, all the other ones, it was really to complement things I've already learned. Or to just further see what was possible mm-hmm. um, and look if I wasn't working in an ortho practice I think my answers would be totally different and I would probably give you a more ortho angled approach
0: <laughs> <But> that's okay <laughs> but I think
1: that's you know
0: <laughs> I mean look hey um, a lot of the times we find that graduates when they finished that's what the are talking about that's what they're interested in thinking like oh I need to do ortho I need to do implants or how do I do <laughs> it all together at the same time so You know, for someone uh, with a different perspective, it's always interesting. You've said that, you know, implants was something um, that you felt like is in a higher demand, closer to the city. Is that because of your general practice? That was the kind of work that they were kind of doing and you felt like, actually, I want to learn a little bit more about it?
1: Exactly. So as a new grad, there are so many different areas that you can choose to do further CPD. and, And I think one one thing to keep in mind is really your work environment and what support you might get. So if your senior dentist or your principal dentist is very, very knowledgeable in veneers, then it will probably be a good opportunity for you to do CPD related to veneers. And then you have a mentor with you Mm. when you're in clinic. Like me, I was working with someone with quite an interest in implants Uh, interest in restorative driven treatment planning so for me it made more sense to go along that pathway but nonetheless it doesn't hurt to dedicate you know a few days in your year just to learn about all the other things Um, and you know if you are working in a practice that does also then it's probably the best time to actually learn about also when you have that support there rather than you're the only one learning this topic and anyone around you you know they can't really help you out
0: right yeah so i mean was there a particular um cpd that you didn't feel was as quite beneficial for you at the time
1: (laughs) yes there's quite a few look there's a lot of cpd aimed at different levels so it's hard to know it's hard to gauge what level a certain cpd will be pitched at So there will be some CPDs. um, Like, for example, I did my training in Melbourne Uni. So I attended a lot of CPDs where the content was very, very similar to what we were taught Mm -hmm. in, say, final year. So I felt like that wasn't the most useful. Conversely, there are CPDs out there that is pitched at a very, very high level. So if you are doing um, full mouth rehab CPD and you haven't really done much pros, it's not going to be of much benefit either. So I think that is a really difficult question to answer. Unfortunately, it's really about finding out what everyone's experiences are with a particular CPD. If there are notes, have a look at the notes and see if that's something that you feel like will be beneficial for you at that point in time. It may be, and if it's not, it might be beneficial for you in five years, 10 years down the tracks
0: right yeah so you're saying that earlier on you you were kind of drawn to these you know bigger kind of cpd courses then you realized it actually wasn't that helpful and then moving forward you were kind of just reaching out to kind of gauge is this the right cpd whether it be through colleagues that might have done it or um notes that you could have got access to um to work out actually is this worth me spending the money um into it at that time
1: exactly exactly so in the first few years, I don't know how much I would have spent on CPD. I just didn't keep count. We were all trying to be that really good new dentist and you just sign on to so many, so many courses. There are free ones, there's paid ones, there's a few hours, there's a few days, there's a few weeks. So you get a taste of it all. But now when I look at CPD, <laughs> um, I'm not as... um. I'm not as, you know, sign-up happy. I actually <laughs> do ask a lot of my friends. And that's a beauty of having so many gentle colleagues is you can just ask, hey, how did you find us? Um, one night I drove to a really good friend's house to pick up the actual manual that she got from the CPD. I looked through it and then I realised, well, you know, this is not quite what I'm after. And thank God I made that trip late night. Otherwise, yeah, I would have probably ended up sitting in that CPD regretting like, oh, <laughs> this is a kind of a annoying Yeah. Yeah.
0: You would have spent a lot of money on something that you feel like you wouldn't be able to implement.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, yeah.
0: yeah. So, I mean, look, Kate, there's an abundance of orthodontic courses available to a lot of general dentists nowadays. I mean, you talk about, you know, do a lot of research before you buy anything. So, you know, where do you think new graduates should be looking at or how should they approach it?
1: I think that's a, look, that's a really, really good question. Um, when i went through university training there wasn't a great deal done on orthodontics and orthodontics is a completely different specialty to general dentistry it's um it's a combination of growth and development it's a combination of physics mechanics um aesthetic work patient planning and all of that's just wrapped up in a medical field it's it's a absolute minefield to try and navigate my best advice really is um, looking for a mentor looking for a mentor who has a balanced view or a Mm -hmm. wider understanding whether that's a specialist or that's a dentist that you work closely with and having a mentor to be around to tell you that hey this will work or hey this idea really doesn't work particularly well i have tried it here are the spare kits in the garage you can have it if you want to i think that's very very crucial as much as i talk about having a balanced view it's quite difficult to ascertain a balanced view until you have done five or six or seven courses and you by then you may as well do (laughs) postgrad and then that's sort of the only way you can have that balanced view so I have a lot of friends a lot of colleagues who just call me and they will say what do you think about this or some courses are heavily targeted towards one brand or one type of treatment philosophy so because I have absolutely no financial interest in anything I can just basically say this works or this doesn't work or spend your money or buy something else. So if people listening, if they are able to find that mentor in their life or their friends, um, it's really about just really, really asking around. And if you do want to do orthodontics as a general dentist, definitely do more than one of the long courses. It is an investment, but you will be a better clinician having done a few, so you see things from a few different points of view and in turn if you run into a problem, you will have various solutions to address that problem as well.
0: Mm. Now you mentioned that you're doing all these things, you're not really thinking about specializing initially but you're going to do the primaries, what what makes you decide you want to do the primaries because now it means you're thinking about specializing maybe?
1: (laughs) The primaries, it was a good time for me to do it. Everything was fresh and I knew that um, if I was going to walk down the path of specialty, I would kick myself for not doing the primaries in my first year out. So it was a it was something I did to keep my options open. Being a new grad, um, I had a lot of time, whereas you don't have the luxury of time when you're a very, very busy established dentist. Studying was still not too uh, foreign to me. And the workplace that I was at, they were quite supportive with leave,
0: Right. because
1: with primaries you need a lot of leave.
0: Yeah, that's right. Um,
1: it's about four weeks of leave that you will need to take from work, on top of all your other CPD and your holidays. So, it's um, it is a bit of a timing uh, timing reason behind it. And look, not everyone has the luxury of having an employee uh, that is happy for you to you know not be around for that that amount of time.
0: Mm. Yeah. So, I mean, like, look, a lot of graduates reach a particular point. You know, they're thinking about uh, practice ownership, about specializing or being a super GP or wanting to start a family. Can you share your thoughts on that?
1: I think things things get harder with time. Um, It takes time to know what you really want to do. So that is a process that should not be rushed. But once you are certain this is the pathway, then my advice is to go for it. Don't be scared that it may not work. Don't toil on the idea for any more time. Just jump in and do it. Even now, I feel like sometimes I don't have enough time to do what I want to do. And I feel like I should have done things in my 20s a little bit differently. So that's the only one advice. If if you want to start a family, go for it. If you want to specialize, do it as soon as you can so you have more time when you're done for all the other life factors and all the other life events.
0: Mm, yeah. I mean, your partner's in dentistry, right? Yeah. Do you think that helped in his understanding of, you know, your kind of career choices, and career path that you wanted to take?
1: Um. I think both ways, actually. Um, sometimes it's easier for me and him to be in the same industry because we would have a common language. Uh, now that I'm in a completely different field, <laughs> our dinner time conversation has to be normal topics. We can't talk about work anymore. <laughs> so when he wants to talk to me about his complicated restorative cases, I'm just like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and I can't talk to him about orthodontic issues either. So it's, um, I, I think it's quite independent, you know, what he did and what I'm doing, it really—it doesn't really influence um,
0: mm-hmm. my
1: choices or his choices. Um, look, I'm lucky that he's a dentist that I was able to have that financial support going through because it is quite an expensive um, expense of three years. Mm-hmm. Um, and he did understand that it was going to be a very taxing course and he's been very, very supportive in working and just helping out during those three years. Um, but I don't think, you know, if he wasn't a dentist, I think I would have still walked the same path. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> Fair enough. So, you won the prize for the highest mark in paediatric dentistry and orthodontics back in uni. Do you, was there ever, Were you ever considering another specialty other than orthodontics when you were applying?
1: Mm, when I was applying, no. But before I was applying, um, yeah, I was looking into what the different options were. So in dental school, I looked into endodontics, see if that would be something that I'll be interested in. Um, pediatrics didn't rank very high on my list. Um, but yeah, it's it's it did take me a very long time to be completely certain that this was what I wanted. And I definitely visited a lot of um, other specialties before going on this pathway.
0: Right. So, what you said that to work out if you wanted to um, do it was, I mean, to visit other specialists and observe yeah. what they were doing, talking to them. Um, some people mentioned, you know, attending study clubs as well to kind of talk, to engage with the specialists. Do you think that's something that they should consider?
1: I Yeah, I think so. The best way of knowing what a the future career pathway might be is really just to go see somebody in action. Mm -hmm. Um, Starting going to a study club, it's great for theory, Mm -hmm. but until you see how a practice actually works day in day out, it doesn't give you a full picture to make that decision. So um, a lot of my specialist friends, they have all observed multiple specialists in different fields as well, before they committed to one. Um, even my partner on his day off, he often goes and watches his specialists that's around him wow. to either learn a technique or he will go and just see what life is like, what working there is like. Yeah, so there's a lot to learn. Um, probably, you know, I found that I learned more by visiting people than sitting in a CPD, um, often held by the same people.
0: Mm yeah are you are you suggesting right now that your partner might be interested in specializing right now? Is that what you're saying?
1: <laughs> you can do another interview with him later <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, so I mean isn't it strange how if you look back now you know back when you're just finishing your bach- your bachelor's um in in dentistry then you were thinking that was your first and your would be your last degree, but now looking yeah. now you're like
1: <laughs> yeah, it's funny how life changes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, look, after five years, I thought I had enough. Um, And then I signed on to primaries, which was another horrendous exam. Gave myself two years off. And yeah, I'm a sucker for torturing myself, I think. Uh, Fair enough.
0: So, look, getting into the program isn't easy. And, you know, you've talked about how difficult it is to get in beforehand. So, tell us a little bit more about that
1: well look getting in it's it's competitive for all the different specialties so it's um and it's also a very opaque process
0: mm-hmm.
1: so it's really hard to know what the universities are looking for in that particular year yeah so it's really that that combination of a they you are competing with other colleagues who are of very similar playing field and not knowing exactly what they want so it is very difficult to tailor your cv your work experience your cpd to a unknown list of variables Mm. and that really is what makes it difficult yeah there's always that element of luck which you can't control and you never really know who you're competing with either so you you never quite know um and even if you get in you don't know where you ranked in that. If you don't quite make it, you don't know where you ranked in that either. So it is quite a mentally uh, taxing process.
0: Yeah. I mean I mean, like you said, you know, in before you said only four um, candidates per uni per year. Um, you know, for some of our audience, they might be thinking, you know, what happens when your university or exam marks don't demonstrate, you know, you're excelling or you know, a first class honor student. You know, I didn't get the ducks, I didn't get the awards or scholarships, or you know, haven't done the research publications. You know, volunteering teaching. Where do I go? You know, what should I do?
1: That's um, that's actually quite common. So it's never too late to start changing your CV to match what you want to do so the university marks and the awards they do play a role but it's not the you know make it or break it of the interviews so if it is indeed something that you are interested in there are many many other ways to demonstrate that interest and to stand out in the field things would include even working at a practice, like myself working in an ortho practice, or working um, even in a perio practice as a as one of the therapists, and just really understanding what that entails, that would help you stand out. You can definitely volunteer. You can do CPD. You can read um, read journals, even watch YouTube videos to show that you have a very in-depth understanding on the day of the interviews. And certainly things like primaries and secondaries, it's another opportunity to show your academic abilities. Because I know many people going through dental school, they may not have considered specialising. So, you know, it's about enjoying the university experience. And getting a class one honours is not enjoying university experience at all. But that's why there are primaries and that's why there are secondaries because all they want to see is that you are able to actually study and retain information and they really don't care how you show it or which parent of your life, as long as you're able to do that. So there's a lot of other opportunities um, out there for someone to show that they are truly interested. And I wouldn't say that average marks um, or even below average marks is going to stop someone if they really wanted to get to a certain specialty.
0: Mm. You know, sometimes people talk as if, you know, they applied once for the specialty and it's either make or break, you know, did it come across, uh, did you come across or hear about people who didn't make it in the first time and then tried again another time?
1: Yeah, yeah, it's so, so common, it's so common, most people will try more than once, some try three, four or even more times. Um, what we often get told is um, apply to more than one university. so you have to be quite flexible. It's It's like um you know it's like interns trying to get into a residency position. It's very competitive and they're prepared to move into state. They're prepared to go regional. Um, and you know this this going into special train specialty training, it is pretty similar. So if you're ready to move, um, and you're ready to try it again and again, then, yeah. And it is extremely, extremely common for people to interview more than once.
0: Mm. Did um, the thought of potentially relocating across your mind at some point?
1: It briefly did.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: It briefly did. Um, when I applied, I applied to quite a few different universities as well. So I took that person's advice. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I'll give it a shot. If I don't get into Melbourne, then I will worry about how to relocate myself. So thankfully the interview uh, sequence in my year, Melbourne was kind of in the middle. So there was a few universities before Melbourne, and then there was a few universities after. So I did fly into state to do a few interviews and um, yeah, fortunately, I got Melbourne, so I didn't have to really worry about that too much. And I had the, um, the pleasure of cancelling some flight tickets as well.
0: <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. So, how did you find the specialist program once you got in?
1: It's pretty tough. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. It's
1: pretty tough. It's full-time, and there's not much time for um, really anything else. So it's expected that you are there, available, all the time. And because there's a big, big clinical component that happens during clinical hours, a lot of the teaching happens before um, before you know, 9 o'clock, or it happens after hours. So that might be 7 o'clock, 8, and it goes quite late at night. Mm. So it was just the sheer number of hours that I think I struggled with. It was a lot of very, very early start and just a lot of very late finishes. Mm-hmm. Um, and having to be mentally alert during like a 15-hour day um, and then to go home and write a thesis, um, you know, look at your emails and then still make sure your life hasn't fallen apart <laughs> was quite difficult.
0: Yeah, because you've mentioned yeah. in the past that you finished sometimes past like 12.40, even, where your car gets locked at the uni, is that right?
1: Yeah, that stupid car park, it closes at 11.30. (laughs) So there was that one time in first year, we finished so late, um, and I was outside in the dark, and I couldn't get my car out. So that was horrible, I had to get an Uber. (laughs) And the Uber driver was literally like, what the hell are you doing out here this late? (laughs) Like, my car's stuck in there. (laughs)
0: <laughs> so
1: that was horrible, yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: wow, okay, so I mean, like, yeah, so you're talking about long days, you know, it's a l- little sleep, you're saying what, four to five hours maybe at times,
1: yeah, it's no different to being a new parent, I think, but, mm-hmm. um, there's not much there's not many hours for um for rest, really, because there's always something to do, um you're you're always having to read the latest journals, you have to read your textbook, um, you know, prepare lectures, prepare presentations, and also make sure you're on top of your patients. So there's a lot of things that need to fit into a day. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and like dental school, once you fall behind, it is very difficult to catch up again. So I think all of us we were just constantly trying to swim um, and just stay afloat and make sure that we were on track.
0: Mm. Yeah. yeah i mean how about all the other like um family commitments? because you're going through your 20s right now right you've got friends that want to go out and party you've got you've got family commitments birthday parties family events you know you've got all these things kind of happening people getting married engaged all of this happening at the same time so when you're going through it you know you're full on
1: yeah before we started recording i was saying to you that i almost felt like I was in a cave for three years <laughs> before I emerged to see what was happening in the world. It is really like that. You get very, um, you are in a cave. It's a it's a specialty cave and you live and you breathe that specialty and that's what's required um, to get to that level where you are able, able to practice at that level but at the same time, there's definitely sacrifices. I still went to the big events um, but sometimes the smaller ones, the catch-ups, I would have to leave early or not go. My parents are overseas. It's made it quite hard to see them regularly because there's always clinic hours and it's hard to get like a solid week off sometimes. Mm. Um, personally, I've I've delayed my wedding until 2020. Then because of COVID, it's still being delayed. Yeah. Um, so there's definitely a lot of things that have to be put on hold. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, you, you mentioned as well, you, you suddenly became religious and you were praying every single god that examiners were nice and you could pass.
1: <laughs> I think we all become religious at the very, very end because we're just <laughs> so tired. <laughs> you get so tired with um, the whole journey and there's so much to learn and there's mm. so many research articles um, and I really struggle with spelling, actually. I'm terrible at recalling names and spelling correctly. So a big struggle for me, it was not recalling research data, but it was actually being able to write an exam what the author's name was. And there were some bizarre names. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so people pray for different things. I think I pray that um, my examiners would ask me things um, written by authors with easy surnames. And look, other people prayed that their thesis will get done in time. So, yeah, it was the last few months were a, it was quite fun, mm. quite funny.
0: You have also mentioned that some people worked whilst during the program. How do they do that?
1: Um, some of the other specialties are not as taxing. So, it does give you time to maybe do a Saturday here and there. But it's definitely not full-time work um and yeah some people are just amazing and they survive on very very little sleep and they do manage to keep a decent part-time gig going on during the entire three years and i can just take my hat off to them
0: Mm. so i mean look you've you've finished this program but like when you're going through it did you imagine that it was going to be as tough as it was prior to um S- signing up for it, because I mean, like you said, you're talking to specialists, you know, you're kind of getting an idea of how the program is, you're talking mm-hmm. to um, people that might have recently graduated, how the program was, you know, that's one way- thing to, you know, hear it, but to actually kind of um, think that you're, okay, I'm going to be able to do this and then go through it. Talk to me about that.
1: Yeah, everyone I spoke to told me it's really difficult. So I went in expecting that it was just going to be really hard, but it was long hours. The first six months, because it's completely new, I think the adrenaline was there, so I was fine. I just kept on going and going. Um, second year got a little bit tougher. The amount of work just piled on and having to do a thesis on top of everything. And it does depend on your thesis topic. Uh, sometimes thesis can take you know, hundreds and hundreds of hours, and sometimes they're a little bit easier. So that definitely got a little bit trickier. Um, By third year, I think I was just, um, I could see the light at the end of the tunnel. So that also got me through as well. So look, everyone's idea of hard is quite different. Mm. But if you go in knowing that it's not going to be very easy um, and that there are other people going through the same ordeal with you, it, it does make it a little bit easier. And there mm-hmm. definitely is very good support from the community as well. The uni, the professors, everyone were very understanding.
0: Yeah. I mean, sometimes when I think about it, you know, when you say writing a thesis, it's like those days where you're just spending hours on end, just going through papers, and then there's no actual, like, um, don't actually feel like there's a physical result at the end of it, isn't it? And then you just feel, don't know if you've actually accomplished anything at the end of that day. But really, it's just like that process again and again.
1: I think so. Yeah. Um, when you're writing that you have to look through every single piece of publication, there are good and some of them are not so great. So it's definitely a lot of hours spent trawling through not the best type of research, but you have to do it. You have to do it to know that that research wasn't great Mm. and to be able to come to that conclusion. So yeah, it's definitely one of the realities of it all.
0: So what's it like when you graduate? How do you find, you know, specializing afterwards? Because you mentioned, you know, go rural, go regional, because um, the cities might be a bit saturated. What's your thoughts?
1: Um, is your question on graduating as a dentist?
0: As a um, specialist.
1: Ah, okay. As a specialist, it, again, it depends on what type of specialty. And working regional or rural, it's a great way to um, get a high patient base quite quickly very much the same as working as a dentist, metro versus rural. Um, But I think the difficulty or the difference is really, it lies on, especially as as an orthodontist, our treatment plans, the active part goes for two years, and then the retention part goes for another couple of years. So that does influence um, our location choices quite a bit. As a general dentist, often the advice is to go and work rural for a couple of years and then come back. But as a orthodontist, once you work somewhere, it's never a couple of years thing, it's a long term commitment. So I think um, coming out, we really do need to be quite clear on where we want to be long term. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: that adds a element of complexity to finding a position.
0: Yeah. Talk to me about the complexity.
1: Well, down in, the, in, in all states of Australia, in the regional areas, there's a massive need. So, if you were open to living there, really easy. Move mm-hmm. down, start a practice. Um, but in the city, it's a very, very different kind of work. You have to really um, find a practice that aligns with what you want which can be hard to do at the outset. And it's about finding the right, even, you know, even the right brackets. sometimes. We practice quite differently. Um, finding the right pace, the right practice culture. You know, certain practices will do more aesthetic work and certain practices um, limit themselves to doing, you know, quite complicated heroic work. So it's a lot of navigating trying to find that ideal practice and it does take a few goes as well but it's i think that the difference is it's a bit larger than general dental um in general dental a lot of practices will be quite similar you have your family general dental practices and you have your cosmetic general dental practices so there's more options there um Yeah, I think that's probably as much as I can summarize.
0: So, um, you know, what do you think about for specialists that prefer to set up their own shop or work for someone first or work for a team of specialists?
1: Yeah, no, that's a that's a really good question. Some specialists, most specialists come out working with someone else that's more experienced. So they can learn assistance in place. They can get a bit more mentoring and they are in a fairly safe environment. I think as we get more experienced um, and as our wings grow, most of us would predominantly end up um, either setting up a group specialist or going going off and doing a startup or even considering buying over or buying into a business. So Mm -hmm. a lot of it, look, it does depend on what type of specialty. Um, For example, in orthodontics, I have many friends who are also specialists, and we've entertained the idea of, you know, we can maybe set up shop together somewhere. But when you look at the true reality, in an orthodontic practice, I need about five chairs to myself. So it makes it really difficult to co-share a space. Conversely, there are endodontists sharing a space with a periodontist sharing a space with a prosthodontist so that relationship works really really well they can have a very collaborative multidisciplinary approach to treatment planning to patient care but it really just does boil down to what your needs are based on that type of specialty as to sort of what direction they go on
0: fair enough uh, you've also talked about how you know you're, you're, you want to encourage second or third opinions for your patients to ensure that they fully understand the treatment plans. Tell us more, more about that.
1: Yeah, I feel like in this day and age, um, it's a lot of, there's a lot of information out there. So patients often come to me with a pre, preconception of what their treatment might entail. Um, I've had patients coming in telling me that they want um, bone screws. (laughs) I've had people coming in saying to me things like, I need you to fix my chin because it's too small. Or here is a before and after that I saw on, on a magazine and I want this result. So I just feel like it's my role to tell them what I believe is the truth and sometimes it deviates quite a lot to what they think they need. So I always follow up my consults with saying, look, if you want to get a second or a third opinion, go for it because we're all a little bit different. And then you can pick based on who you feel the most comfortable with.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's interesting, you know, because obviously in this day and age, there's so many filters, right? And so people come across a lot of filters where they're shaping, how they look and all of that. yeah, definitely interesting topic um, to de- look into in the future. So, who else has been your pivotal, who, who has been pivotal in your career path and why?
1: I would say every single, every single um, person I've come across, they've all contributed to basically where I got to. I've had some very, very great tutors, both as a general dentist and going through ortho. That gave me a lot of very good tips. Sometimes it's simple clinical tips that made life a lot easier. Sometimes it's communication tips. Sometimes it's life advice. I've had people tell me, you know, don't jump into um, don't jump into something too quickly. I've had people um, even talk to me about what you were talking about before, which is all the filters and just being aware that there is this current, if you call it body dysmorphia or body distortion thing that's going on. So I really can't tell you this one particular person that changed my life around. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, look, everyone has something to share.
0: Mm. So have there been any particular struggles that, you know, um, in your CPD or dental journey that some of our viewers uh, won't know about that you haven't mentioned already?
1: Um, particular struggles I I would say um, the struggle is something that I think we all go through and if you do do specialty you kind of have to go through the same struggle twice and that struggle is really just when you graduate is being able to establish yourself so I think when we finish we finish with a lot of um excitement about what the future might hold and sometimes the job climate or sometimes when you start that first position it's not what you were hoping it was and that's when reality hits so that is i think that's always a struggle after working for a few years then it's that that becomes a distant memory because that's no longer a issue you know, the issue becomes I am too busy and I can't fit my patients in. But then going through um, leaving that and going back to training and finishing training again to then be back at that same position again, I think that was a big struggle for me. You can ask my partner, I was a bit, was a bit down for a while because I would think, you know, why did I leave my general dental life behind when I was happy and I didn't have to worry about patient numbers, to, to go through all of this, to spend three years in a cave studying this and to be back at square one.
0: Hmm. Fair enough. How about patients on a day-to-day basis when you get kids that don't listen, don't talk, don't clean up, just don't care. <laughs>
1: um look my nurses will say i'm pretty cheeky and i'm pretty firm with the kids when i was younger i was quite scared of the kids so i would just let them have their way um when i was working as a general dentist one of my very very young i think he was six year olds one of my six-year-old patients he ran away from me and went into hiding in the practice and we couldn't find him (laughs) But because I was so young, I was so scared and I didn't know how to manage that situation and I just got really flustered. But now after being out for for quite a while and just having life experience, I think my tolerance is quite low. And if someone runs away from me or, you know, tries to play up, I get quite firm or I have a little cheeky response that kind of just puts the, stops them in their tracks and they're like, oh, okay, I can't. I can't um kick up a fuss anymore Mm. and often i get a lot of kids um you know a lot of kids in braces and they would say how awful braces are how much pain they're in to try and guilt their parents into switching to invisible line because their friends have it Mm. and yeah and i'm like and i can just say things like you're not in pain i know you're not in pain because there's nothing active I can say, you don't have an ulcer because your mouth, there's no ulcers. I'll take a photo. There's no ulcers. So, it's, it's becoming less and less of an issue as I um, yeah, get more life experience, I think.
0: Fair enough. So, what does your current ideal clinical day look like? You know, the type of things you might be getting up to.
1: My ideal clinic day, um, I like to start the mornings off with consults when I'm most fresh. And during the day, during that lunch hour, I prefer to do D-bands. So that's the long appointments, take braces off, and it's usually quite an enjoyable one for the patients. In the afternoon, just the nature of the work that we do, there is a lot of after-school patients. There's a huge rush. So generally that after-school slot is very, very, very hectic and very busy. Mm. Um, And hopefully I finish the day. running not too late that would be the ideal that's a template that i give my clinic and it's not always followed because obviously (laughs) patients are not you know able and they're not always that flexible but that would be nice if i could have a day set up with those appointments structured separately
0: Mm. and what what do you hope your you know ideal clinical or non-clinical day might look like in five years time and what kind of Um, CPD might, um, you as an orthodontist, might have to do to kind of get there as well?
1: In five years' time, um, look, I'm pretty happy with my work at the moment. And in five years' time, I think it will still be quite similar. During a day, there's going to be a range of different patients coming through. So... I don't think I'm going to change that part too much. Um, in five years' time, hopefully I'm more efficient and hopefully um, I can have a team that's can just basically pre my every single move. With CPD, there is a ton of development going on right now. So when I look for CPD, I usually look more so overseas.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you can look into key opinion leaders because even though people will say they're not the most evidence-based, they do have some very, very good clinical tips. Um, A lot of the CPD that I watch is currently about TADS or squeedle anchorage or bone screws, um, and it's really just pushing that boundary to see what's possible. Mm there's a lot of different malocclusions that now can be corrected with skeletal anchorage. um, Whereas in the past, they would have needed um, jaw surgery to fix. So that's quite an exciting frontier and it's always changing.
0: Mm, Interesting. Well, uh, Dr. Katie Zhu, thank you for coming on the show today. If you could let the people know how they can find you or what you've got going on in your life.
1: So... If you want to see what I sort of do on a day-to-day basis, you can find me on Instagram. I'm sure Lawrence is going to um, pop the links below. And on Facebook, roughly once a week, I will do a little summary on a topic that I think will be of interest for you. So again, that link is below down there. It is a private group um, just to make sure it's a nice, safe environment and I can talk about the truth.
0: Want a few tips on how to improve your interior composite restorations to make them all so nice? Well, we've got an exclusive CPD Junkie Cheat Sheet collab with Dr. Clarence Tan. You'll get the essential tools to set you up for success, an exclusive promo code for the Hugh Freddy School Tools Composite Sculpting Kit, and a step-by-step case presentation. So, head over to cpdjunkie.com.au forward slash sheet forward slash Download your free copy today and make those bum-ass anterior restorations and your friends will be wondering how you did it. If you like this episode drop a comment below on your favorite part or leave a review don't forget to share it with your friends and we'll see you in the next episode of cp junkie podcast